welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? This is Len, aka the Bat Triple. And as we move through the waning days of summer, on this episode, we will spend some time with what is legitimately a modern classic. Whether or not Lynn and I agree with it being a modern classic, mm. I guess that's what the conversation will be. But this is, I think it's a, a modern classic. 2002's Barbershop, directed by Tim Story, with a script by Mark Brown, Don Scott, and Marshall Todd, starring Ice Cube, Cedric the Entertainer, my fellow Turk, Michael Ely. Mm-hmm. Eve, Sean Patrick Thomas, Anthony Anderson. Yes, Anthony Anderson. And a host of working actors that we all know and love. Very true. But before we go and get our lawn done up in the barbershop. <laughs> we got some listener mail, Vince. Hey, always nice. Missives from the missionaries indeed and to start things out we got an email from uh quenu from california hey quenu in regards to our review last week of penitentiary okay quenu writes i was listening to your podcast this week penitentiary i have to say i continue to enjoy your show but ooh was a little disappointed that two men, two black men, Mm -hmm. brothers, discussing a prison movie, predominantly about black men, and during the month of Black August, and not even to mention the state of affairs that the thousands of men of color whom still find themselves mired in the prison industrial complex to this day. Yes. I know your show isn't overly political, although you do drop some knowledge here and there. Perhaps you'll get around to it when you're reviewing Penitentiary 2. At least a shout out to the political prisoners that are still behind the bars during this month of Black August 2021, even though the U.S. government denies the existence of having any political prisoners within its confines. Quenu from California. P.S. Black August is the month that has been designated to recognize all of the political prisoners still being held captive in the prison system here in the U.S. Well, Quinto, I think you just did it. He did. I think you just did it. And, and you know, I won't speak for Lynn, but I always, it, it, it borders on disrespectful, I would think, to, to have talked about that during penitentiary talk. Like, you know, I like penitentiary, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's penitentiary. Well, and certainly next week. <laughs> with penitentiary too yeah yeah but my thing about my my i think he raises a good point at least not mentioning it right right but i think the reason why at least speaking for myself sure i don't want to necessarily speak for you but i speaking for myself the reason why thoughts of that didn't really filter deep into my head as i was i was watching penitentiary as well Mm -hmm. as while i was reviewing it yeah was because I don't think I don't think that that theme is really a part of the the message 
of penitentiary. Maybe it is on a very subliminal right, level, right, right. but I think it is so subliminal that it is very easy to miss it. Sure. Um, at, le- at least as part as, as far as I my watching. Well, I don't. I didn't get the sense that any of the prisoners in penitentiary were political prisoners, unless we want to say that the very nature of the prison industrial complex, mm-hmm. everyone is a political prisoner, which right. I think you can certainly argue. And along those lines, I do think that there is a theme in penitentiary, which we talked about a little bit. Obviously, we could have talked about it more. Mm-hmm of prisons being factories right holding these black bodies and using these black bodies the irony is that we may have talked about it more when we did life irony of course that's because life was a comedy but but there's this and and we talked about there's a real darkness Mm -hmm. that runs through life yeah and and i think that 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 plot point of whether you're innocent or not Mm mm-hmm or whether you've served enough time or not, the machine has to always be fed. Like there's that yeah. theme running through life set on a southern set in a southern um jail where they all were working on the yes. houses and yes. and sort of utilizing all of this um prison labor. Yeah. yeah. So it certainly is more prevalent prevalent and more of the the text and further up top in the subtext of life. Than I felt that it was right, in, right, in right, here. right. Like I think you know, again, it's just bodies, yeah, and 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 sort yeah. of commodified bodies mm-hmm. in penitentiary. But but thank you. Say say his name again, Quinu. Quinu. Thank you, Quinu, and yes. and thank you for writing in and and saying that. And yeah. I don't know if you've seen Penitentiary Two lately, but I, I'm just gonna go ahead and give you the heads up. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he get, he gets further away right. from it. Right. I don't know how much we'll be talking about Mumia next week with Mr. T and little people flying through the air. So Yeah. Uh we also heard from Belinda Silber. Hey Belinda. Just listened to your spades episode or <laughs> that you called penitentiary. Right. Wondered if we had seen the clip of Tom Hanks talking about playing spades with a black reporter. Tim Allen is there totally clueless. After seeing this a while ago, I wondered where he learned. Uh, give me some insight. Please, thanks, Big Mama Belinda. Are you aware of this clip, Vince? You know what? I have to say when I got up this morning on my bingo card, <laughs> Tom Hanks talking about spades was nowhere close to it so this was um tom hanks and uh tim allen okay being interviewed by zilla valentine okay who has his own youtube channel okay uh in regards to they they were talking to him about toy, toy story, story i would 4. assume yeah right toy story 4 but he got along to asking him some questions zilla valentine is a, is a black uh, um youtuber okay um he got him around to asking him some some black questions to prove <laughs> black but, questions because he, he, he well he, he he thinks that they both have um black cards so he wants to check them on this damn people just giving out we need to have meeting more meetings about this well let's see how well, this plays out this, this is slightly out. edited but let's All see right, how this go plays ahead. out next one uh i want to ask you a couple questions uh you're playing spades you got four in the possible. Your partner says he got four in the possible. The guys you've been playing with, they've been talking crap the whole game. 
what do you do? Do you bid nine or do you bid ten, go wills and go all out for it? Ten. Ten? Go all out. I've been working Vegas 30 years. I don't gamble. Okay. I don't play cards. I think it's a full. There's <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily money involved in spades. No, 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 it's just crazy. I don't just play. Just I, I throw deep, baby. Okay. I go yeah. deep. I don't know what That's you guys what are talking about. Card. I don't know. What's have any idea what you guys just said. <laughs> you don't know how to play spades? I'm going to say I do just because I want to move now, on. Now, when I was in Oakland, California, they all play whist. Mm. It's like you see the. I mean, it was a. Boom, bam, Should boom, I get a cup of coffee boom, or something? Boom. Kids were playing whist, man. But that's that's like a version of spades, yeah, sort of absolutely. like. Mon- mon- yes, I guess I know yeah, spades. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I played the game. Well, much like I sort of <laughs> alluded to before when you said both of them get black cards, Tim Allen don't get nary a black card because he, he didn't card. like any black nothing that was going on just no. then. No. Tom Hanks somewhere playing bid whist, though. Yeah, he said when he was back in Oak, Oakland. I was like, what was Tom Hanks doing in Oakland? Actually, it just, it just, I don't know. I have other questions. Maybe, you know what? <laughs> Did they film any of um, Forrest Gump in Oakland? I can't, I don't think I'm just so. thinking about, now I'm so. trying to, like, I'm trying to figure out, figure out where, Hanks, where he got Tom Hanks was somewhere with some black people. I don't know. I don't, was maybe Tom Hanks the first choice for training day? So <laughs> you're making jokes. I'm trying to figure out where Tom Hanks was with some black people. He might have been. I'm trying to think. Like he doesn't do. I'm trying to think of any Tom Hanks movies. No, because you know what was what was the what's 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 a sitcom? Not Perfect Strangers. Uh, bosom Buddies. Right. So he goes from no, that Bosom was Buddies, York. and that was New York or Soundstage. Was that New York? Or was that well, I think it was set in New York. Set in New York. Probably a soundstage. Yeah, soundstage. And then he bounces. He does Splash. Splash. Um, Joe the Volcano. Well, he did. Well, that wasn't in Oakland. I just want to say. Yeah, that. but after Splash, he's pretty much Tom Hanks. I mean, Joe the Volcano aside. Right. Uh, Joe versus Volcano. Um, I don't know. Was he in Was he in California for, um, what's the one where he becomes a kid? Big? Yeah, big. Yeah, but by then he's Tom Hanks. Yeah, but he can still be hanging with. He can still be hanging with the brothers. You don't think Tom Hanks can hang with the no, brothers? No, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I, don't. I don't think Tom Hanks was hanging with the brothers. <laughs> I don't know. I think he might. Unless Tom Hanks was with like Denzel Washington or something or somebody. He's friends with Denzel. A, a, a brother who he, took him with him. He is friends with Denzel Washington because they did um, Philadelphia and they became friends on that on that films. Right, but how does Oakland get into it? Maybe he visited was, the set of Training Day, but that was in L.A. Maybe he just took, maybe he got people in Oakland. Maybe he got people in Oakland. Tom, Tom got people in Oakland. Tom got people. all I know is that Tom Tom was with it. Tom was with was that the right answer? I mean, he it, said it, go it, in it, ten. It, it, it sounded like he was moving more context clues than anything else, but but he was doing all right. Oh, uh, why you why you got to play him? I'm I think he, I think he was play. there. I'm I think he was look. I think it was right there. Uh, look, I think it was right there, Vince. I think you're playing him. I think you're playing him. I, I appreciate that. Also, you gotta be real easy with that ten. For, we we do like ten for two hundred because you fool around and get set. Like I heard him say, he has four and a possible, and then his boy has four. But what I in the other team have been talking mess the whole. But what I didn't hear was that they weren't that good. I I know one thing. I have a I've always had a lot of respect for Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, I just just American treasure, isn't he though? American treasure. He's he's just. Hey man, this gets it right. I don't really be giving out black cards and inviting people to cookouts and all that old nonsense, but 
Well, Miss McKeeba, Miss McKeeba agrees with you. She said, "I uh, let's stop inviting people to the cookout all willy nilly." Yes, and yes. <laughs> so, um, yes, <laughs> right. Let's be let's be crystal clear. On a scale of one to Tina Marie, Tom Hanks is really about a five or six. I mean, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, and Miss McKeever also said, and don't be talking about uh, taking that ass as a plate either. Right, exactly. So we have that. We have that. So thank you to everybody that emails us um, all of your, your thoughts and concerns. Really appreciate it, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Absolutely. And speaking of emails, we have a request for all of you for emails. With the end of August, we will be at episode 266 of yes. the show mission. Yes, we will. Which means which means that episode 300 is just around the corner. It's probably going to be coming sometime in early 2022. So, what that means is that starting with episode 275, we start the countdown. We start the countdown. Here the it is. road to 300, ladies and gentlemen. The road to 300 it will be beginning with episode 275 when Vince and I will take the time to maybe pull some of those films off of the shelves that we've been, you know, talking about getting to, mm-hmm. you know, some certified classes that we're just kind of hold off, just waiting for the right time, mm-hmm. waiting for them to ripen in our collection before we bring them out and review them. And we're asking all of you missionaries if there are any select movies out there that you have been like oh this is the time this is the time to right, pull this right, off right. Oh, oh. now now we have we're not going to announce it yet no but we already know what episode 300 is going to be yes we do and it's going to be a doozy it's going to be a long awaited film we're not announcing it yet we won't be announcing it for next for another few weeks right but that still leaves 24 films to get up to it. That's right. And who knows? You may come up with one, ladies and gentlemen, that is so dope that we'll just be like, yo, I think we got to do that one instead, dog. We may have to do that instead. You never know what the day is going to bring. I just found out that Tom Hanks knows about spades. Exactly. So, there so you, you never know. You, you never know. know. You know you you know what film I I see uh, and coming off the shelf in the next... Uh, in um, Maybe even episode two seventy five, Vince. Lethal Weapon two. It might be time for the Lethal magic Weapon is 2. back. It might be. Time. Wouldn't it be crazy if we did Lethal Weapon two before Lethal Weapon? <laughs> Wouldn't that be insane? <laughs> we just do Lethal Weapon two. We just start with Lethal Weapon two. Well, an argument could be made. Not maybe not necessarily Lethal Weapon two, but an argument could be made that Lethal Weapon three is possibly a black film because isn't that the one that has Danny Glover and Chris Rock? Does Chris Rock come in Lethal Weapon 3 or 4? Because I think Joe Pesci shows up in 2, right? Joe Pesci is in 2, and then he's just part of, of, the, he of the crew. I mean, maybe. I think he shows up in 3. Okay. Of course, you know, I, I would argue, all jokes aside, I, I think Lethal Weapon is, is a black film. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't work. Like, Lethal Weapon does not work without Danny Glover's character being black. Well, didn't we? Did we? We did do Die Hard th- three. Die no. Hard with a Vengeance. No, didn't we? we didn't. We didn't. Yes. Do you have some type of bootleg 
movie podcast that no one knows about you sitting here by your you're like bleak gilliam after his mouth got busted up and you just sitting here and and run like the table this one right here this one right here you just sitting over here doing a podcast in your head why would we have done die hard with a vengeance <laughs> i think i think that's every bit as much of a black film as lethal weapon no, because John McClane. See, you're so busy focusing on the, the 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 literal representation that you're not looking at the themes. Hmm. Die Hard with the Vengeance. Samuel Jackson's character didn't have to be black. That could have just been a cranky dude. He couldn't have been, but the fact that he Steve Buscemi could have played that role, and it's the exact same movie. No, well, but the fact that he is black does play a part in the movie. No, it doesn't. It does. What part does it play? Because he saves them, because he's got to walk around in, in Harlem with the, with the N-word on the sign, and Samuel Jackson that's, saves them. That's, that's, that's a detail. That's, and then he gets beat up because he's the black guy. I seem to remember it playing a part. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen I was about, Which was my <laughs> next question. When is the last time you watched Die Hard <laughs> with a vengeance? It's been, it's been, it's been a long time. Right. It's been a long time. Okay. All right. Uh, Deborah Battle is uh, says that Chris Rock is in four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because four, I think, is the last one. And four is the one there. They're just like everybody is just too old for this shit. And they just throw stuff <laughs> against the wall. Like, I think that's the one where um, Mel Gibson says it. That he's too That old. I'm too old. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. All right. All right. So the road to 300, ladies and gentlemen, please. Email your suggestions to michellemission at yes. gmail.com. We will be keeping tabs of that. Uh, please please put the road to 300 in the subject line so we know exactly which email to uh, keep hold of. You know I love when we get to the, the road the, the roads because you know I love the Bob Hope, Bing Crosby movies. I, don't I, I say it every time we get to the roads. I do. I do. I don't understand that. I do. Those are such corny movies. I know that's part of the charm. I shouldn't talk. I sat here the other night watching Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and Abbott and Costello meet uh, The Invisible Man back to back just the other night. Those are solid films. The Invisible Man, not so much, but Frankenstein is, is a hoot. Yeah. Frankenstein yeah, is Yeah, those a are solid films. No, that was a good, it was a good time. A good time was had. Mm -hmm. But I also okay. fell down the rabbit hole of um, black music documentaries okay and it seems like it's very timely that i did did so because as you came in like just adamant that we talk about there was a big piece of hip-hop news yes that went yes, down lately yes um, tell the people about it Vince. de la soul has been in a prolonged battle mm -hmm. about their rights to their tommy boy catalog right and the tommy boy catalog because De La Soul never stopped making albums. No, no but but yes. I think we can all agree that Three Feet High and Rising, De La Soul is dead, Balloon Mind State, um, Stakes is High. Yep, the first four are are just classic, classic albums. And for many many years, they had a really terrible contract with Tommy Boy, which mm -hmm. resulted in the music wasn't streaming. Right. Four years. I, I think the, the quote that I heard was that Tommy Boy had had written in this contract like they got they would get 10 percent 
of the streaming revenue mm-hmm. and Tommy Boy would get the other 90. So they refused to sign. And because that De La Soul's uh, Tommy Boy material was never streamable. Now, I always this is the part that I always say like this, this stuff about what does and does not get streamed never affected me at all because I actually own the music. I know that's crazy right. talk, but you know me, I like people to make their money. Yeah. So Tommy Boy sold their catalog to this other label. I think it's Revolt. Are you looking at the... I think it's Revolt. Yes. Right. And De La Soul announced today officially... It, 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 there were murmurs of it yesterday, even the day before yesterday. But they announced officially today that they have reached a deal that they are very happy with mm-hmm. about their masters and about their um, material and and they're going to start streaming it soon and i am happy for them brothers like they are in my family (laughs) that was the best news i've heard and i don't know how i was i'm so happy for de la soul i'm happy for them too man um you know unfortunately as big a a label as tommy boy was Mm -hmm. at the time the story of them not doing right money wise is mm-hmm. a tale as old as time. I've never heard one artist signed to Tommy Boy that said, "Boy, I'm so glad I'm signed to Tommy Boy." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you actually hard pressed to find find of a lot of '90s. How about that artist that was signed to labels that really got a really great deal yeah it's very very hard pressed how about that um so but i'm very happy for them like you said they are legitimate like you know legends oh in the in the world of hip-hop and and they're legends for two reasons one yes just because of their music their mm-hmm. music was ahead of its time yes you know the, it was it was classic when it when it came out it set a bar, and then they weren't afraid to tear that bar down and rebuild it each and every time. How about that? How about that? And they are also legends because, let's face it, when we go down the legend of hip-hop, and especially hip-hop groups, it is littered with groups that fall apart. Yeah. Even if they do eventually come back together, which is usually for a cash grab. Yes. They usually, they do fall apart left and right. And De La Soul, there's never been a whisper of them falling you apart. You never hear anything about it. Um, I know you, you, you might touch on this. I think Beats, Rhymes, and Life, the Tribe Called Quest documentary, mm-hmm. ha- has has some faults. Like, like, I don't think that's, like, I think it's some issues with that documentary. But the one thing that you see throughout is how De La Soul, yep. in contrast to a tribe called Quest, mm-hmm. always kept it together among themselves mm-hmm. to the point where one, one of the best parts of the documentary to me I know where you're going. is how frustrated they are Yes, with tribe. Yes. Yes. They're like, you know, like, dog, like, I would just assume it's like, they don't even be, need to be on cop and tour no more. Right, right. And then because they messing with our energy, but they messing with our energy. And then there's the one scene where uh, I believe is Maceo is back stage with Tip, and he's like pleading with him, like, like, dog, like, why, <laughs> like, why? And Tip, and, and, and Tip is, and Tip is just like, yeah, man, but you know, but what he said, but he, he ain't talking to me. He ain't talking to me. 
but dude, like this is like he's you you <laughs> and like and you you can feel Macy your nose. The cameras are on too, so he don't right, want to go right. So he don't he don't want to really <laughs> go in. He don't in. really really want right. to go in. But he's he, like and Macy was a big dude. He's like Ugh. like you hear him, you can see him like whoa, whoa. right right right. And I'm like yo, like I'm feel I'm feeling him right um, because like you said, I did fall down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I watch I watch Beast Rhymes and um, it's Beast Rhymes in Life, right? Mm-hmm. The, Dan- the 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 Tribe Called Quest uh, documentary by mm-hmm. Michael Rappaport, which yes. definitely has some issues with it. Yes, but at the end of the day, what well, I keep coming back to, they're on camera saying what they said. Yes, <laughs> so absolutely. Like, you can say whether or not right, right. You- the words aren't stitched together, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And it's not secret audio. No, and both them boys. Another funny part about this, it's because it's all about like, unfortunately, the desolation of the Tribe Called Quest at that time. Right. And it's really, as much as it's about the desolation of Tribe Called Quest, it's really about the friendship between Fife and Q-Tip. Right. And both of them are talking out their ass a little bit. Right. If I'm being, if I'm being 100. But the whole time, every time they keep cutting back to Ali, he's like, yeah, but for me, I was like, okay, if you don't want to do that, it's good. Yeah. You know, or or sometimes you see them two like kind of like going at it and Ali's just in the back and he's just like just stone faced, just like Yeah. You know? And and it's almost to a point like I feel a little bit sorry for him because he's caught in the middle, but then it's also like, dude, you wanna do something. You know what I mean? I mean, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, but this is your crew, man. It's I mean <sighs> Yeah, you know, you know. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, if it's if, if crew is falling apart, even even if there's an image in the in the movie of Ali taking them both into another room. Right. Here's the thing. All right, I'm not because you know Tribe. I know is, this is, is my favorite group of all. So yes, I know. Like you can't fall apart. But they did. I mean, they did. They, they did. did. But even after they did. Like, Fife has passed. Q-Tip is, you know, doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Ali Shaheed Muhammad is doing his thing. Like, they're always a Tribe Called Quest. Okay. Like, no matter what you do, you're always a Tribe Called Quest. Okay. All right. So, I watched that. Mm-hmm. Then, that made me want to see... I'm glad you moved off a of Tribe Called Quest, because yeah, we were just going to sit... Yeah. yeah. You would have been here all day. You know, I... Yeah. You never got to the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, then, that made me want to see a documentary that a lot of people don't know about. Okay. Called I Want My Name Back. Yes. Which is the story of the Sugar Hill Gang. Yes. Specifically Wonder Mike and Master G. Yes. And how the Robinsons of Sugar Hill, Sugar Hill Records, right? Yeah, yeah. Sylvia Robinson. Sylvia Robinson and, and Joey Robinson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that, their whole family. Right. How they not only robbed them blind mm-hmm. as all hip-hop labels are want to do and certainly at that moment yeah in the 80s like the sugar hill gang was probably did anyone get robbed before the sugar hill gang well sugar hill gang no probably probably not right because probably even not grandmaster the... flash and them ain't get got until after sugar hill right right nobody got yeah sugar robbed. hill gang is the is the first <laughs> they're the first hip-hop crime i think right and and probably no one got robbed more than sugar hill gang because when you think about it 
their first single, which is acknowledged as the first yeah, true yeah. rap yeah. single, yeah. Rapper's Delight, yeah. sold 10 million copies. The single right. sold 10 million copies. You should always say to date. To de- right. Right. Well, at, at the time right, of the, right, of the, right. Cause, cause, the documentary. Because people are still. Yes. Yeah. Rapper's Delight is still generating income. At the time of the documentary, it sold 10 million copies. That was in the documentary, I believe, it was 2012. Yeah. They, at that point in 2012, had only made $250,000 each for their whole career. Never mind all of just that one song. Right. They right, made 250000 right. So the, the, the Robinsons, they, they robbed them blind in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. But then... In the year 2000, mm-hmm. they copyrighted yes. the name Sugar Hill Gang yeah. and the rap names Wonder Mike and Master G yeah. out from under them and then went and took them to court multiple times yeah. so that they could not perform yeah. as either the original or the real Sugar Hill Gang or as the real or original Wonder Mike and Master G. Now remind me because I haven't seen it in years. In my early hip hop, like my pre-Rakim hip hop history, gets real murky real fast. Mm-hmm. They didn't write rappers to like though. That's see, that's a very that's and, a misnomer. And, and, that's a misnomer. Okay, all right, that's a misnomer. I see Miss McKeeva and De- Deborah Battle are arguing it out um, right now in the in the chats. Wonder Mike and Master G who rapped under their names before the creation of the Sugar Hill Gang. Right. They rapped in different crews under those names. They wrote their rhymes. They wrote all of their rhymes in every one of their songs. Apache, all of their songs going forward. They no, wrote, no, I'm talking specifically about Rapper's Delight. No, 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 I'm about yeah, to say. Okay. So, including Rapper's Delight, they, okay. wrote, they always wrote all of their lyrics. Okay. The part in Rapper's Delight that was not written was Big Bad Hanks. Hank was right. not a rapper. Out, right. Okay. Grandmaster Kaz wrote Big Bad Hank. Big Bad. Right. Right. Which is why he actually refers to. Right. He says Kaz in it. Yeah. Like right. he actually raps Kaz. Okay. And now, now, the reason why he raps Kaz in it is because, yes, Kaz wrote, Kaz wrote it. Wrote it. <laughs> yeah. And but Kaz wrote it with the with, with the thinking that okay, dude, you know I'm ghostwriting this for yes. you. Yes, but you're a rapper, so you know where it says Kaz. Right, change that to Hank. But Hank's not a rapper. But Hank is not a rapper at all. Right. Which one of the favorite the best stories out here is when they the, the, all three of them are sitting there, kind of like auditioning to become this group because they were all kind of like separate sure, individuals sure, put sure. together by the Robinsons. And they they take up they go to Sylvia Robinson's house and she, she throws on a beat and Wonder Mike was rapping off the top of his head. He throws it to Master G off to he comes off the dome. He throws it to Hank. Hank seemingly comes off of the dome with a rhyme. Mm-hmm. Goes back to Wonder Mike off the dome. G off the dome. Hank repeats the rhyme that he just <laughs> right, said. Right, 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 right. Which is after the third time of him repeating this this rhyme, yeah. they realize, oh, dude's not a writer 
or a rapper. Right. And what they then learn is that what he is doing in this auditioning is reciting a rhyme from someone else that he heard. Okay. And that person was also Grandmaster Kaz. Right. Which is why Kaz in this in the documentary is like, dog, the real Sugar Hill gang should have been Wonder Mike Master G and, and Kaz. Me. Right. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. But it, it's it it's a bug documentary, but as crazy as it is, I can't have but so much sympathy for Wonder Mike and Master G because when you get robbed in the 80s and 90s of all of your dough, that is a signal, bruh, for you to get each and every one right, of your papers yeah, in order it. so that there is no reason why in then the year 2000 that the Robinsons should be able to copyright the Sugar Hill Gang, and let alone your rap names. Right, like that's the first thing you can take. I think. Care of. I think the thing, and, and I, I thought I saw this, but now I'm thinking maybe I didn't, which means I need to sit down and watch because you, you, you know, you read so much about the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is shocking to me because I just assumed they had been performing all along. No, they were trying to. The, the the Robinsons actually were performing as the Sugar Hill Gang while Wonder Mike and Master G were trying to perform as the there were two Sugar Hill Gangs out there. So it's like that temptation situation. Right, almost. because the because the Robinsons still had Hank. They still had Hank. Right. So was, Okay. All so right. Now it's all coming back. So right. it was Hank. And then, like, and then one, and I think it's Sylvia Robinson's son, one of his sons, right? And then some other bull, right? And th- and those two bulls were calling themselves the Sh- Wonder Mike, Mike and, and Master and G. Master G, right? And and now to be fair, Master G was the first one to leave. Wonder Mike still kind of stayed with it, and uh, Leland Robinson started rapping, and when he started doing shows. And was introducing himself as Master G. Wonder Mike was like, "Yo, dog, you can't like just call yourself Master G. Like right. you got to come up with another name." Right. And when he just kept doing it, that's when Mike left. Right. And he was like, "Yo, right, this is this, this." And then the cool. bad thing is, big bad, big bad Hank is the most visible one. Like, like when you visualize him in your head, he's the one you see. Because he was like the big dude. You know what? Honestly, the person the person I always saw was Wonder Mike, and I think it was because he was light skinned He was tall. He had like that kind of curly hair. The the, I thought the big bag chops. Hank was the big one. No, Hank was just a big. He was just dude. a big dude. He had one. He just had one that that tight shirt all the time. Him on like that tight terry cloth shirt. No, no, so, no, no, he was a big dude, but he right. was like more like like a chubby dude. Oh, he was a chubby dude. You're right. I'm you're right. Yeah, he was a chubby dude. I'm actually thinking. You're thinking about, about Mike. I'm thinking about Mike. Yeah, you're right. Because Mike, you're 100 percent right. Real light skin, but because Master G was the little boy, right? The little like like Davy Jones of the cute, right? Group, you know, like right. cute boy. You yeah, know like I, mean? I said, pre pre rock him. My stuff is real, real shaky. <laughs> My hip hop is real shaky. It's, it's, My, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the, like it's, it's interesting documentary. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's available for free on Tubi TV. So yeah, you can check that out. Yeah. And then I watched on Max. They just put out yeah, a documentary. Yeah, watch free advertising. Yeah, just, just say you watch. I watched 
on something. Right. Um, they know how to talk. They know how to call Pac Armor. <laughs> There's a documentary. There's a documentary about um, Woodstock. Woodstock '99. Yes. Which I had forgotten that that they had done in Woodstock '99. I remember Woodstock '94, and I think that's deliberate. Yeah, because Woodstock '99. Ooh, that was a whole mess. Oh, I remember. I remember the mess, but I also, like you said, I think there has been a deliberate operation to downplay it. Yeah, because that was the one where they did, like they set fires to the right, joint. but it was just all middle class white boys it was all wilding out, wilding the hell out, women being like yeah, like abused. Yeah, oh yeah, um, and a real disturbing, I guess disturbing now. Yeah, I guess probably disturbing at that time because DMX performs there. Yes, and it's real kind of creepy to see the sea of white people. Just calling, response in the N word. Of course, back to DMX. Of course, you know. I mean, in one, in one sense, he is like to- has total command of that audience. Mm-hmm. But in another sense, it's kind of like kind of, kind of messed up. You know what Woodstock '99 is? You know the disco suck story. Do you know the disco suck story? What's the disco suck? So the disco suck story. Disco basically came to a halt. Like disco had become this fad thing, and there was a radio station, and I believe Chicago. Okay. That changed formats. Okay. It was a rock station, and then it changed formats to disco. Okay. And then like that turned into this. There was this whole rallying cry about disco sucks. Okay. And like you've seen that. In oh, some, like on shirts and stuff. On like shirts, it like disco sucks. So they had a disco album burning. Okay. At okay. um at a baseball game. It was Chicago or Cincinnati. It's one of the Midwest towns, you know, mm-hmm. real white working class. Mm-hmm. And it turned into a riot. Oh, and I they think I do burned up that. all it and everyone started they started coming onto the field. They all they came onto the field because I think it was either free beer night yes. Or, yes. or the cheap beers. But it was incredibly racist. Yes. Incredibly homophobic. Because let's just be real. When we talk about disco music, we talk about black, brown, and gay people making music. A lot. A lot of it, yes. And no, the actual club culture that, you know, like like before Saturday Night Fever and, okay. all, all, right. and all that old nonsense. Like what we call disco music, that club music, mm-hmm. black, brown, gay people. Right. And they they had this burning and it turned into this whole thing. And we don't talk about it like, no, like, you know, when you talk to music historians and it's, it's, it's funny, it's almost uh, um adjacent to the conversation that they had about Summer of Soul. Okay. How, right, how right, we've right. never, ever discussed this music festival in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Like you might know about Wattstack. Maybe. Maybe. Right. But we privilege Woodstock mm-hmm. and we talk about Woodstock like it was the pinnacle, but it is always very telling what gets highlighted in history and what gets downplayed yeah and this whole woodstock 99 like you said and and we were adult people in 19 but like you said it's like oh right there was a woodstock yeah. like how come like you know it's like Lollapalooza still goes on like how come we don't talk about the fact that there was a woodstock 99 and that's why right yeah because just like the disco sucks and they burn them albums it was these middle class white boys right. walling out yep yep 
But that was my my rabbit hole that I fell down of music documentaries. I, you know, I like a good music documentary. I do too. I like a good music documentary. Maybe want to look for more. Um, check that out. Damon Williams says he thinks yeah, that it, uh, that it may have been Detroit that that took place. Somebody look it up real quick. Like it should be easy to find. Disco demolition night at Comiskey Park in Chicago. There it is. There it is. Just want to make sure that was on tape. July of 1979. There it is. Thank you very much, Miss um, McKeeva. The reason why Detroit played a part in it, the game was the White Sox and uh, Detroit Tigers doubleheader. Oh, okay. You all looked that up. It's a very interesting story. Yeah. There, there's been some really, really interesting reporting around that story as years have gone by and how they've had to pardon the pun how they've tried to whitewash it about what was really going on but it's a really interesting if you're interested and i know i'm on my my jag now but you know i love the like if you're interested in in music programming Mm -hmm. in race in popular music and all it's a really fascinating moment especially at this moment when we're all commemorating the 40th anniversary of mtv I believe so, yes. Yeah, really pay attention to the MTV reporting, folks, if you're interested in this kind of thing. Pay close attention to what's being said and what's not being said about those early days of MTV. Vince, do you know what this weekend is? My wife's birthday? Is this a trick question? I'm not sure what the, what's this weekend? This weekend is free comic book day. Hey! And that is fantastic. All over the country, mm-hmm. there are going to be very special celebrations of Free Comic Book Day. So check in your local listings, ladies and gentlemen. But I want to highlight one thing that is happening, and this is in Harlem, where the Apollo celebrates Harlem Week. Nice. With a free panel discussion about Harlem's own Luke Cage. It's a virtual program streaming on Apollo's digital stage for Free Comic Book Day, Saturday. August 14th at 11 a.m. Panelists include New York Times bestselling author Brian Michael Bendis, a comic book writer who, you know, not for nothing, I got to say, probably is the one that made the biggest radical change in that character of Luke Cage. He is 100% responsible for the Luke Cage renaissance of the past 10 years. Like, no question whatsoever. Achia Hadari Coker, the creator and former showrunner Mm -hmm. of Marvel's Luke Cage. Very nice. As well as Marvel writer and editor Joe Duffy and the award-winning comic book writer, filmmaker, journalist, educator, and writer of the Shaft... um, Oh, David Walker. David F. Walker. Very nice. Will be on hand as well. That promises to be a great great time. Luke Cage, Harlem superhero, streaming on the Apollo digital stage to Apollo's Facebook and YouTube page. The tickets are free, ladies and gentlemen. They are free, but you need to RSVP, and they're available at Apollo Theater. Dot org. Very nice. Very nice. Check that out. Uh, it's time for us to get into an hour review. So, all right, let's all right. get into our review. Oh yeah, oh. we talk about movies too, don't we? We do. <laughs> let's get into our review of Barbershop. All right. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages.
just another day on the south side of Chicago. All right, now listen up. Give me wallet and your Jordan won't be no problem. Eddie, <laughs> get your sleeping boys alone. Sit down. It became an extraordinary day at the barber shop. I need a cut. A little off the top, long in the back, but not quite no shag. Slope to the left like Gumby. Eddie Monster in the front, a little white cliff on the right. Come on, hook that up for From MGM Pictures and the producers of Soul Food and Men of Honor. Push it through. Hey, hey. Oh, my finger. You want to know how I really feel about you? Just think about that baby face song. Which one? You ain't there to tell them. All of them, baby. If you don't pay the property taxes, the bank is going to foreclose on the shop. I made your father the same offer, but you're a better businessman. You got vision. How could you sell this place? You know we're trying to get our recording studio off the ground. You can't give this up. Ice Cube. Your father wouldn't put up with this mess. Do I look like my father? Yeah? Yeah, you do, man. Pretty much in the nose. Anthony Anderson. Sean Patrick Thomas. Eve. And Cedric the Entertainer. Yo, Daddy, he believed that something as simple as a little haircut could change where a man felt on the inside. Sometimes finding the strength Get out. to do what's right. Here go your money back. I'm putting it right here on the table. Man, you're going to take this money. You're going to take this money. It's in the people. We can't talk straight in the barbershop. Then where can we talk straight? Right beside you. Rodney King should have got beat for driving drunk and being grown in a Hyundai. Oh. Barbershop. I get you good. Hey, y'all, look at this lady. Hey. See this smooth. When he get through, his face gonna be real smooth like Gary Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> Barbershop is a 2002 American comedy drama directed by Tim Story, written by Mark Brown, Don B. Scott, and Marshall Todd, starring Ice Cube. As Calvin Palmer Jr., a third-generation barber and barbershop owner. Mm -hmm. And the story revolves around the challenges that he faces with the barbershop, as well as the barbershop's place in the community, as well as other events occurring in this south side neighborhood of Chicago. Besides Ice Cube, there is also Anthony Anderson Cedric the Entertainer, mm -hmm. Eve, Michael Ealy, and a host of other working actors. <laughs> In Barbershop, the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn! What do you guys say about Barbershop? Um, wow, man. It, this really took me back. I don't think, honestly, I've seen this movie since maybe... I think I maybe watched it one other time the year after it came out. Okay. And I haven't watched this movie since then. Okay. I remember this being a film where, um, I remember this being a, a, a fun film for, for Ice Cube because Ice Cube pretty much plays the straight man in the movie. Uh, I remember this being a film. I was ne I've never been a huge fan of Cedric the Entertainer as a comedian, mm -hmm. and and no one's going to say that Cedric the Entertainer is any type of great actor, but the personality of Cedric the Entertainer I've always kind of enjoyed, right? And I remember 
this movie kind of like kind of like liking you know Cedric in here with his Frederick Douglass hair and, and all that type of stuff but the reason why this movie took me back so much watching this now is um since the last time I've seen it I've stopped going to the barbershop I haven't been to the barbershop probably now it's 2021 probably in at least 15 years okay because i cut my own hair okay right so and i miss the camaraderie sure of a barbershop i miss the community of the of the barbershop i miss the conversations the arguments the fun jabs you know that come comes down and watching this film brought all of that back to me right Mm -hmm. which i thought might color my rewatching of the film now from a critical eye because now i'm just you know i'm just waxing nostalgic over like oh i remember when i used to go to a barbershop Mm -hmm. but no this is just a really fun film Mm -hmm. it's just a really cool nice easy slice of life film which more often than not black films um have seemingly not been allowed the license to be especially in at this time in early 2000s right Right. they usually had to be if they were a slice of life there still had to be some kind of like real deep message behind it you Mm -hmm. know either you know sticking it to the man or against the man or you know it's like it's you know some big hollow death that's happening or or whatever or it was played out melodrama for romantic or dramatic sense this is just a comedy Mm-hmm. It's just a nice movie. It's just a moment in time in this barbershop with these characters who, while for the most part, are thinly drawn because of the acting that is given, you still get a still get like a fully fleshed character from some of the episodic beats that happen within the within the film mm-hmm. through everyone. Uh, like I said, Ice Cube is the the linchpin upon which everyone else re- orbits around as a straight man in this movie. Um, and by everyone, I mean the other barbers in the shop, as well as our quote unquote uh, antagonists, you know, in the Anthony Edwards, uh, Anthony A- Anderson's character. Um, as well as Keith David. Yeah, didn't mention Keith David. Keith David um, as, uh, oh, oh, I just had his... Lester Wallace. Yeah, Lester Wallace. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> him of the Bobby Brown uh, toupee. Mm-hmm. Um, it, everybody orbits around Ice Cube. And by this time in Ice Cube's career, he is not only just a seasoned actor, but he is a seasoned performer mm-hmm. who knows how to be generous on screen and allow ev- people to just feed off of his energy, right? Right. Um, and I really, so I found myself really enjoying his performance here and him lending himself as the lead in, in this movie. Um Michael Ealy. This is very early Michael Ealy. 
this is when the world takes notice of Michael Ealy, right? Right. You know, and I don't just mean the, you know, one half of the world that is like taken in by the man's looks. I mean the world at large taken in by his charisma and magnetism on the on the screen. Because the camera cannot not find him when he is on the screen. Right. Uh and to his credit, he doesn't overplay his hand at all in this movie no 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 no. he's he's very very mannered in his performance you you get the the sense of his past as like a little bit of a thug right right. you know on the streets but you definitely also get the sense that this is a man who is at a crossroads right trying to figure out exactly which way he wants to walk yeah you know going forward and that plays out and a lot of that plays out just in his eyes just in his mannerism just in the way that he holds himself as opposed to what is said you know any lines that he says and i think that it's very well done um by him so it's only right that the people that the world takes takes notice of him uh sean patrick uh thomas as jimmy james is kind of like another kind of like quasi antagonist in this film he's just he's just that jerk Mm -hmm. in in the know-it-all college boy in in the in the shop plays it to the hilt gets it over um he definitely he he, he plays jerk well right he does it well um the other the the person who really is a a a revelation in this film a little bit is troy garrity as Mm -hmm. uh, Isaac isaac rosenberg the one white guy in the in the film who kind of you know uh it makes a bit of a, a black aesthetic in in how he, he he lives his life right um but you never get the sense that he is doing mimicry you mm-hmm. always get as he says in this film i'm just doing as a as i grew up in the neighborhood that i grew up this is what i was shown this was you know, and and let's face it, we all do this. We all kind of like take bits and pieces of what we see around us and use that to forge who we are. Right. And his character is a young man who's still kind of trying to forge who he is, but by taking in what he's the world that he lives in to find that identity right right he in in no way tries to make it out that he's black i mean he jokes about being blacker than the the college dude but that's you can his tongue is firmly in his cheek when he says that yeah um he is just he just uh, a man who is uh you know living the life that he sees on the street and living it and living it to the to the fullest and not trying to defront about it just trying to find his way and i thought he actually plays plays the role very well he could have been very buffoonish mm-hmm. he could have been over the top with it mm-hmm. he too is smartly very mannered everybody play nobody plays over the most over the top is cedric and entertainer and his role is meant to be over i was about the to say but that's that character right that's his that guy yeah his character you know eddie is supposed to be over mm-hmm. the top right and he's got some over the top things that we'll we'll talk about that he says in this film, um, but everybody just it, it's just a 
a cool film. The only other person, honestly, to me, whose performance falls like maybe a little like flat to me is Eve. Mm. And, but this is still early in Eve's, you know, ascent as an actress. And two, she's not anyone who is going to be challenging for any awards anytime soon. Right. But this is very early. You know, she's making that transition and, you know, she, she, she's Eve. She does Eve. Right. You know, um, she's not asked to do, but so much and she does what she does. Yeah. She doesn't get in the way of anything else that happens in this film, which is what I appreciated. And I also appreciate that Tim's story, the director does not get in the way. Mm-hmm. He smartly, pulls the camera back show gives you a, a sense of place in the barbershop you can kind of get the geography of the barbershop plays out as really as uh, really true uh i appreciated that and the script where there's like the bare bones of a story mm-hmm. you know he's uh, uh, ice cube's character uh calvin is is back on he's got property taxes up to wazoo all of a sudden he's got to go to a loan shark um lester played by keith david to get them to get to, to sell him the store the shop so that he can pay off his bills well not to pay off his bills so that he can open up a music studio in his basement with like some equipment from pre sugar hill days so that he can then make money to pay off his bills an excellent plan what could go wrong what could go wrong what could go wrong uh and then you know hilarity ensues as that all blows up in front of him meanwhile there is a an atm that is stolen from across the shop across the street and somehow that story kind of dovetails into the whole drama with going on in the um in the barbershop and it's you know the way the stories kind of commingle it does a little bit of story gymnastics to sure. do that to be fair but hey one sometimes life is like that sometimes life has just got you up on the parallel bells bars doing like god knows what and by the time it does make these crazy leaps you're already drawn into the story because that really doesn't happen to like the very, very, very last third of the movie. Mm-hmm. And by then you're kind of like in, invested in the characters and the situation uh, to a degree. And you're just along for the ride. And to be fair, that ending still doesn't quite play out the way that you might think it does. Right. You know, there is really shockingly, this movie, Barbershop, gets listed up under, you know, quote-unquote hood, hood films. There's no violence in this movie. No, there isn't. There's no violence. No, there and, isn't. And the, and the only real, any semblance of violence is cartoon, right. you know, self-emoliation that Anthony Anderson's yes. uh, and Lamard Tate, Lorenz yes. Tate brother, um, do to themselves. Oh my God, how much does that job suck? Being Lorenz Tate's <laughs> Jeez. and then your name being Lamard right like you look just enough like Lorenz Tate that people say you look like Lorenz Tate and you sound just like your brother but not enough like Lorenz yeah. Tate that you can yeah be Lorenz Tate yeah and it sounds like your mother knew it because right. she named you Lamar I wonder if he and Omar Gooding have meetings and just sort of hash these things out they may be they may be. they you know what i i bet they do yeah. i bet they do probably with tom hanks brothers right um 
yeah so so i so i actually in watching this film i found myself pleasantly surprised by how much i really enjoyed this journey back into the barbershop okay i i have a lot of affection for this film and, mm-hmm. and you know quite honestly i have a lot of affection for this series mm-hmm. but just talking about barbershop i think this is a film that in spite of my affection has a lot of issues okay like like right. it has a lot of issues I, I think the 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 the, the 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 whole side plot because it's not really a subplot like i you forget just how much screen time is taken up with this whole atm deal yeah there's like a whole montage with lamar and it's never been good it's not that funny it's never ever from the first time i saw barbershop mm-hmm. that whole side plot with anthony anderson and lamar um tate tate felt like the writers didn't trust the material mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we had to have this whole side deal right for the hijinks i got you and it has never landed with me it doesn't age that well and frankly, I think when we talk about barbershop, mm-hmm. we all pretend that that part's not there. That that part's not there to the point where you think it's a subplot. But again, in an hour and forty-two minute movie, it's it's a little over a third of the movie. I'm curious. You said that it doesn't age well because I feel it, a lot of it is slapstick. Yeah, I mean this whole. The, the whole plot of stealing the ATM machine mm-hmm. and taking it up and down the steps, and it just doesn't it doesn't age well because it doesn't make sense. I mean, I mean to me, them dragging the ATM up the street was the precursor to the Fast and the Furious movie ser- franchise when they're dragging a bank. Don't you disrespect? Down, <laughs> down Don't you do that? <laughs> Don't you do that? I think that's where they Don't got the, that's that. where no, where they not. got the idea. <laughs> so you have that part. The whole plot about Calvin needing the money from Lester Wallace doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> okay, it does. Within the film. Like this is not some waif in the woods. This is a third generation barber in this neighborhood yes but he does say that he's only been managing it for two years it doesn't it's not about him managing it's about lester wallace and his role in the community okay this the the script doesn't even care enough to make it a real twist like as soon as he hands him the money lester wallace says oh i'm not gonna keep it as the barbershop i'm gonna turn it into something completely different a strip call call a barbershop a strip call called so so the the complications in the film mm. don't either don't make sense or they just kind of eat up screen time. Okay, that's true. Uh, the yeah. cast, I agree with you about the performances of the cast from from Michael Ealy to Eve to um I, I just forgot the Sean Patrick Thomas mm-hmm. to I just forgot, forgot the actor's name that played Isaac. Um, oh, that's uh, Troy Garrity. Troy Garrity mm-hmm. individually. I was not that impressed with any particular performance. Like, oh, really? you know, I thought they did fine. I think, you, you know, I do think you make a really good point about Michael 
Ely's performance being more one of implication, mm-hmm. like allusions to this past. As and and I thought I, I actually agree with you about that. The part of this film that ultimately wins me over, though, is the barbershop itself. Yes. So all of those individual performances, I wasn't blown away by any of them individually, but the camaraderie mm-hmm. between them mm-hmm. was so natural and so lived in. And it's like they actually seemed like a group of people who have worked together. Mm-hmm. This barbershop is personified by Cedric the Entertainer's performance and much like you I'm not a Cedric the Entertainer, his comedy, but right. I like Cedric the Entertainer. And this character, um, I just had Eddie. A, Eddie. I think Eddie is such a brilliant creation and the creation of people who know about barbers mm-hmm. and barbershops. Because this older barber figure, who is ridiculous, for most of the time, he's sitting and he's eating a chicken up front and he's got the crazy hair and he makes these jokes. They ain't all jokes. But part of the reason that he is important is for those moments where you realize he is a living tributary mm-hmm. of this history. He has these two wonderful scenes in this film. The scene where he teaches the other barbers how to cut with, a sh- a with the straight razor. razor is absolutely glorious it is absolutely glorious how it and 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 to tim stories um to to give him credit mm-hmm. the way he stages it yeah and the way everyone in the shop gravitates and the way cedric the entertainer transitions from this goofy dude and he's making all this stuff he's still that guy mm-hmm. but you realize the wisdom Mm-hmm. that is in him and then of course that monologue that he gives to calvin mm-hmm. after calvin sells the shop you completely understand how the instinct and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks the instinct for barbershop two is to push him to the fore yeah because he is is he's everything mm-hmm. eddie is everything much like you i love ice cube in this film and and I'll take your straight man and I'll add on to that. I think Ice Cube has done a wonderful job transitioning into an everyman actor. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. The yes. first scene with he and his wife mm-hmm. in, in the studio and he's talking about his dreams and everything. And they feel like a couple and he feels like an ordinary man. Yeah. And the one thing I will grant the plot about him taking this money from Lester Wallace that anyone who's been alive longer than 10 minutes knows that this is a terrible idea. Mm. He is an ordinary man. And I love how Ice Cube has transitioned, is able to transition into this role. Yeah. And then there's just the barbershop itself and and the, the, the detail of of the barbers and and the detail of the barbershop culture and you know mm-hmm. guys playing checkers and and a guys checker coming free, in, you checker know, free. people coming in selling things and and the profane mm-hmm. that that occurs in the conversations there's one member of the creation of of this film that we haven't mentioned because he's on the production side 
George Tillman produced this. And George yes. Tillman, we've talked about him creatively because he was a creator of soul food. Yes. And this very much feels like a companion piece. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. something like soul food. Yeah, this could be like three blocks over. It could be three blocks over because it's so lived in and it's so warm mm-hmm. and it's so loving. Yeah. To this very spe- specific slice of black culture. Yeah. That issues like plot ultimately are secondary. Yeah. Ultimately are secondary. And much like I said, you forget how much that whole dumbass thing with the ATM and they're going up and down the steps and they're yelling at each other. You forget how much of the movie is taken up with this. That's true. You do. You do. Because of the love this film has for the culture, Mm -hmm. which then transitions into a love that it has for you if you are a part of this culture so that it all fades away. You pointed out... um, Ice Cube's performance as the husband, right? Uh, and to his wife, Jennifer, played by Jasmine Lewis, who's not given a lot to do in mm-hmm. this film. But I like, like to, you, to your point, when they are together, you do feel like they are a couple, right? Mm-hmm. And I also like that, and for some people, it's a small, it might be a small thing. But I like that the movie takes makes the point of having ice cube realize how he's going to play himself out of this drama that the trouble that he's he got himself into Mm -hmm. i like that it takes the it it lets that happen in a moment between him and his wife Mm -hmm. because it could have been very easy for that to happen like the back room of the barbershop or while he's just sitting listening to all of them talk in the barbershop and then he just has a you know revelation. Mm-hmm. I like that it actually comes from the conversation with him and his wife especially because it's in that conversation his wife who to his credit and again to the film's credit he tells about immediately about what he did. You know, even mm-hmm. though he has misgivings about it, there's no you know, dramatic play where he's hiding it from her. Right. You know, and she finds out. No, he comes out and tells her because, you know, it's me and you. And you you're you're my partner. This is I'm telling you this. And she rightfully gives him a little bit of shit about it. Right. But then she also says in that scene, Well, you know, no matter what, I'm gonna be here for you. Right. I'm here for you. Even with the dumbass studio down in the basement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be right, right here for you. I'm like, all right, here I go. I'm plugging it in. You blew another fuse, baby. Right. You know, like, and, and and I, that's just a small thing, but I like that little bit of detail. So much so that I literally like, like made a gleeful, like, smile at the end of this film would they make sure to show her show up at the end of the film with the baby with the baby yeah yeah i loved it to your point the other little detail i like about that scene is that she trusts him enough and she has the respect for him enough that she says basically i'm pregnant i can't really deal with fix this yeah and she trusts 
that he's going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see her off commiserating and and then maybe I need to call my mama. No, fix this. Yeah. And then she leaves and then he fixes it. Yeah. 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 And just along, you, you know, like you, I thought Eve, you can tell this is early in Eve's acting career, mm-hmm. but you have to give credit to the script for finding these spaces mm-hmm. for women's voices in a story that, frankly, you, you, you it's not going to be women. True. Because it's a barber shop. Yeah. But you have you, you have Eve as a female barber, as we've mentioned, um, Calvin's wife mm-hmm. is a voice that runs throughout. Even the few moments with the, the woman who owns the nail salon yeah. next door. Right. Like, I like that the film finds these moments mm-hmm. while staying true to the oftentimes profane nature of a barbershop. Speaking of profane, two yes. two conversations that take place in the, in this film. Yes. And this is one where it maybe ages a little badly. And that's the whole early in the film, the conversation about the big asses and big ass big women. Big ass women and women with big asses. Yes. Yeah. And that maybe ate, doesn't age super well, but that only doesn't age if you take that conversation out of the barbershop. I was about to say, if you've never actually been to a barbershop. Yes, because that conversation is definitely in the barbershop. That is, that, that is 100% a barbershop conversation. Yes, yes. And it actually would be a lot more profane <laughs> in look, barbershops man, than I used to go there, to. Look, I told you, my childhood barbershop, Harry's Afro Hut, it was an old dude, the old, the old dude mm-hmm. named Fuel. Mm-hmm. Fuel. I don't know if that was his government name. I don't know if that was his nickname. It was he was fuel. Fuel. <laughs> and fuel would stop the clippers and start talking about plus size women. Mm. And that's that's actually the end of the paragraph. Cause I cannot add any sentences to the paragraph. To what fuel used to say. Mm-hmm. Fuel was the nastiest, <laughs> most profane, mm. graphic man I had. I and you know, I was a kid. Right, right. I couldn't even believe what was coming out of his mouth. But boy, if fuel turned them clippers off. Yeah. And like you said, that's that's it's you know, it's it's not a, a matter of you like it or you don't like it. It's like saying i like the sunrise mm. or i don't like the sun it's just it's just part of the culture and and i thought they dealt with it as tastefully as you can depicting it that people outside of barbershops are going to see it right right then there is the matter of eddie yes cedric the entertainer's character mm-hmm and a bit of dialogue <laughs> where oh uh, let's just run it down for you people Eddie there are three things that black people need to tell the truth about oh number one number one Rodney King should have gotten his ass beat for being drunk in a Hyundai in a white part of Los Angeles <laughs> Number two. Number two. OJ did it. OJ did it. 
And number three. Number three. Rosa Parks didn't do nothing but sit her black ass down. Yes. Yes. That is that is that is what Eddie said. At which point the barbershop erupts. Yes. In the disrespect yes. that Eddie is showing to the memory of Rosa Parks. Well, Rosa Parks, I believe, is at the is live at that right, time. Right, 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 right. Um, but but his point is that there were plenty of other people at luck who sat down before Rosa Parks. They just didn't know Martin Luther King. Look, all I got is anecdotal evidence. I ain't take no surveys. I ain't written no books on barbershops, but I've been going to barbershops my whole life. I've I've heard a version of that conversation several times. So have I. So have I. And I've also heard the F. Jesse Jackson line spewed more than a few times. Yeah, and, and I think talking about tasteful, the film cuts away because much like I said, I can't add any more sentences to fuel. Used to talk about plus size women. Mm-hmm. After someone said F Jesse Jackson, oftentimes there was a whole monologue <clears throat> that went with it. Yep. And here's why. And, and, and here is why. Yeah. They want unfurl the scroll and go in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there were actually, there was actually some pushback. Yeah, I remember. Oh, I, I, I 100% remember. Shortly after the film's yeah. theatrical release in September 20, uh, 2002, Reverend Jesse Jackson. Yes, yes. And Al Sharpton. <laughs> yes. Protested over some of the statements made by Cedric the Entertainer uh, about African-American historical um, figures. Because he also says in regards, and uh, along with his comments about Rosa Parks and Jesse Jackson, in regards to Doc, Dr. Martin Luther King, he also says that Martin Luther King was a hoe. Yes. Uh, Jackson and Sharpton pressured MGM to edit those scenes out of the film before its DVD release in January 20, 2003. Um, but the film was released with the controversial scenes intact. Right. And again, you know, I'm sorry. It's only controversial. Like, it was only controversial to people who aren't black men who've been in barbershops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also... You have to really the the other thing about the film, the film in no way pretends or or, or tries to put it forth as is this is the viewpoint of the filmmakers. Right. Which is why they immediately show there is pushback look, on all of his comments. Look, look. People say wild shit in the barbershop. That's what you're supposed to do in the barbershop. People say wild shit in the barbershop. As 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 Eddie says, as Eddie said, we're in a barbershop. This is a barbershop. And in a barbershop, you, this is the place where Look. black man, you know, it means something. It's the cornerstone of the neighborhood. Look. You can say what you want to say in a barbershop. If we can't talk straight in a barbershop, then when can we talk straight? We can't talk straight nowhere else. You know, there ain't nothing but healthy conversation. That's all. Adam is five years old. I know I'm about maybe two more visits before the questions start. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's five years old and he said Martin Luther King. <laughs> no, no, but he's he's sitting up in barbershops. Oh, yeah, man. Real talk. And take it in. Then. Uh, look, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, what kind of father would I be if I didn't take my son to the barbershop? That's right. That's right. All right. Look in the mirror. All right. Hand Mr. Jason the money. Give him a fist pound. No, right hand. Mm-hmm. Look him in the eye. And then look. 
barbershop. Yeah, gotta gotta learn. Get, gotta learn. So it does look, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, so here's here's a question. Go ahead, because I know we're we're coming because because you did talk about the threat of violence or vice. I really enjoyed the ending more than I remember. There's a moment at the end with Lester Wallace, where he has to basically make a decision mm-hmm. about how far he's going to push this, and I thought it was really smart that the film takes the decision out of his hand in that moment. Yeah. Because it, you really do kind of get the sense that it could go either way. You, you do. You do. I mean, you get, I mean, yes, you do. I mean, I think, you know, the conventions of movies, you know, it's not. But yes, you kind of get, get that sense. I just thought it was kind of interesting that the cops come in, led by um, uh, Tim Wright. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. Detective, oh, yeah. A, a character actor who I actually enjoy when I get the Yeah, me him. too. Doesn't work enough. No, he doesn't. Um, he, uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that part of Calvin's ploy is like, yo, you either going to let me go or I'm going to tell everybody about, all, you know, this chop shot you got right. going in here. And the cops come in. They see that you can't see that it's a chop shot. Well, here's the thing. And this is why I think it's it's unclear. I don't know how much of a threat that is. Like Lester Wallace, by by reading between the like, what I infer is that he's been Lester Wallace for a minute, for decades. Yeah. He says, "I gave, I tried to give your father the same, same deal. deal." So he knows who Lester Wallace. Everybody knows who Lester Wallace is, mm-hmm. but that kind of gives him an out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Keith Keith David does. He plays the snake real well. Keith man. David is 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 the best keith david is keith i actually found keith david a little distracting because i think Keith, like like keith david much like cedric the entertainer's character i think gravity Mm -hmm. pulls towards them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 again i'm gonna say it like i thought the cast did okay but this is this is not the cast from get on the bus right like right like they're okay right and if you don't think they're okay wait until keith david comes on the screen right or cedric the entertainer is is it seemingly effortlessly mm-hmm. building this character yeah like when he comes in and 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 he and, and keith david and cedric have that quick exchange <laughs> eddie nigga <laughs> but it's all it's all there. There, the whole history. And and if that moment had gone five seconds longer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it would have derailed the whole movie for me because that's the movie I want to see. There's one moment that kind of derailed me from me, and I didn't rewind the moment. But so you tell me whether or not I saw this right. Mm-hmm. First of all, one of the reasons I stopped going to barbershops is because I do. I've learned to cut my own hair. Mm-hmm. But two. Like two is like the the two people who cut my hair pretty mm-hmm. much were had retired. Okay, so it's a bunch of like younger guys, and I didn't feel like training <laughs> somebody else to cut my hair. And plus, I have a problem when I go to the barbershop and the barber is dressed better than me. And to me, 
you not worried about getting your clothes dirty. You know what I mean? Like you not really cutting no hair. And like Q Q was looking a little bit too fashionable every time he was But he the owner. So Dog. he kind of play at, you know, I got the sense he's an owner operator. Dude, he had, he had a, a lot of, he had a rotating yeah. heads in his yeah. chair to yeah. be like nice, freshly dipped. Uh, the whole damn time, right? In his hat too. Right, come on, indoors. Right. Come on, dog. You like, come on. You sweat when you cut hair, dog. Yeah. You know the lights. But the point that that really rang untrue to me. There's a moment where he takes a moment and he's sitting down and he's eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, cute. And he's got a styrofoam carton in his hand and he's eating. Now you tell me, okay? Because it looked to my eyes from far away. They never get super close on it. It looks like he's eating crab legs. No, he's eating chicken wings. All right, it's chicken wings, and I'm wrong. Okay, never mind. I don't know why I thought it was crab legs. I don't know why I thought it was crab legs, and that red, you, there's no human being <laughs> that's, that's eating shellfish in a barbershop. <laughs> yes. Not in, 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 the, in the front seat with it just in one hand. No, 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 Nobody no. No, they were chicken wings. They were chicken wings, too. They were okay. chicken wings. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Which again, I thought was that's spot on. Is, is spot every, every detail. Every detail is spot on. Now I want some chicken wings. Now I want some chicken wings. Yeah, yeah. Every detail was spot on. You gotta leave, Vince. It's still it's, early it's enough. Still early, right? So the question, of course, becomes, and at this point, I think is, you know, just we're just doing it for form. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend barbershop? I would. Mm-hmm. I would recommend barbershop. I definitely would. Um, I don't remember enough about the rest of the movies to say this categorically, but I think I'm I would lean on my guess is that I would lean on I would recommend Barbershop and you don't really need to see the rest. And I say that mm-hmm. with thinking about Friday. Sure. And my and, and to my mind, you can watch Friday and you don't need, need to the see rest. the, the next yeah. week and anything sure. like that. But I don't remember enough about Barbershop 2 and I'm not even sure if I ever saw the final cut. Isn't that weird yeah. how everyone says that? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I'm, I think there was a, like a little bit of a gap there yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the, I thir- think- the third one is about his son who's now 16, 17. Jesus. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, but I would definitely recommend seeing Barbershop. I think yeah. it's it's a, it's a nice movie. It's a fun movie. It's uh, it's it's funny. It's 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 funny. It's not like it's not as hilarious as I as I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. But it it's still funny. It's still comical. It's a sweet film. I think you uh, and and believe it or not, I think. Uh, Children of a certain age, it's a family film. Absolutely, I'm because I know it's PG thirteen, but yeah, 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 certainly nine ten. Yeah, yeah, I think nine or ten. You're definitely in play. I agree. I I, I agree. I, I would almost say, I would almost say that this this is damn near canonical. Like mm. when you talk about barbershop, like when we talk about films from. Well, the 21st century, definitely. A, a black film. Of black from, films. From like, like you, you know, I'm all, you know what I always say if I'm teaching a class and I had to teach. But, but you have, yeah, absolutely. I would recommend Barbershop. Uh, again, I think as a film, it has flaws. Yes. But as an experience, 
it's yeah you have to watch barbershop and we'll certainly talk about this more in a few weeks i think you would watch the other films because of what is the real strength of this film Mm -hmm. and is the depiction of this community and the depiction of these characters and and i think another testament to the script is you become very invested Mm -hmm. in these characters fairly quickly i mean it's an hour and 42 minutes and like i said in 40 minutes is anthony anderson dragging around an atm machine so so you become invested in these characters very quickly so that the sequels are really like seeing old friends Mm -hmm. that you have It's, it's almost like going to a homecoming so but but i would absolutely categorically recommend barbershop i've been saying this for years and I think people have flirted around with the idea, but I really think a winner, if you want a winning series, mm-hmm. you know, the, the docu real life series type of things that they got going on, mm-hmm. right? You want a really winning series. You take a barbershop in the Northwest, mm-hmm. a barbershop in California, mm-hmm. a New York barbershop, or mm-hmm. maybe Philly. Right. And a barbershop down south. Yes. You pluck a camera into each and every one of them. Come on, man. And then you just intercut just stories. just And it, it never has to leave from the barbershop. It never has to be scripted. You just just cut. Just find it. You just let, let the camera run. And I guarantee people will sit and watch and just listen to those conversations well i think you said something a little interesting a moment ago when you said about training young barbers and i I do think as time goes on again just anecdotally it's difficult to find the traditional barbershop culture it's is it it's just harder is it dying out do you think i don't want to use a term like dying out but i do think you know I think it changes. Like, like I, I haven't had a barber shop with the old dudes playing checkers. Well, yeah, in a while. Like, like, like your barber. What's the culture at your barber shop? It's you know, dudes maybe forty years old. So the, maybe the oldest barber. How how was the oldest like barber? like the owner is maybe in his maybe forty. Wow, maybe forty, wow. and they're younger. But but it's a type. It's a type of barber shop that there a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. You know, people bring their kids to the barber. Um, no, no real profanity in the music. Mm-hmm. It's not a front. No one's in there dealing drugs. Okay, it's not a front, right? Right, or just where where one of the barbers is dealing out right, of one right. of the chairs. Like, like you know, yeah, let's yeah. again if we're gonna talk, let's let's talk one of the one of the chairs and like all all the clippers are plugged in at all the chairs, right? Or it's just a dude that somebody's coming back and forth all right, the time. Right, so right. You, you know, it's not one of them barber shops, but. There aren't old dudes in there, or a lot of old dudes. Like mm-hmm. like old people will come in, and and I don't know how many of those barber shops can be sustained. I mean, just just as you know, just time goes on. Yeah, just time goes on. That's true. But I love barber shops. I love barber shops. It's 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 it's. Look, man, it's the only place. That is all black men from all walks of life. Yeah, it is. Like it's the only place where you, you look. It's and and you know, it really is. I can't think of anything. Else. 
place else. Look, it's just the bar you want the women. Well, and then it's you know you're in a bar. Like everybody yeah. doesn't go to a bar, right? Right, but everybody almost well, almost everybody. You know. Yeah, everybody goes to the barber shop, and, and again, so. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week, <laughs> we kind of already told you, um, we invite you all <laughs> to share all of your thoughts, your concerns, all of your feelings. Email them to us at michomission at gmail.com. Michomission.com, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made, where you can hit swag and check out all of the cool designs that we have available for you by, by way of our friends at T Public. All the designs, except one, as we were notified <laughs> this week that we had to get rid of. But we're not going to talk about that. Anyway, um, you could also follow The Michelle Mission on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe to The Michelle Mission on YouTube at Michelle Mission on all the social medias, which is a proud member of The Podglomerate, curated podcast for your listening pleasure, thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. All right. All righty. Uh, next week on the Michelle Mission, it is Vince. He's back at bat. Yes. With his film, Vince. What are we watching next week? We are going to continue our journey into the trilogy that is Jamal Fanaka's masterpiece, <laughs> Penitentiary. Mm. So we will be watching Penitentiary 2, which we will talk about this much more, but I think Penitentiary 2 is, or Penitentiary rather, is one of very few film series. The only one I can think of off of the top of my head is the Alien series. Okay. That changes genre from from film film to to film. film. Oh, I have another one. I'm not going to mention it. Okay. I have, right. I have another one. But, but while I think Penitentiary is arguably, along with The Last Dragon, the last black exploitation film, mm-hmm. Penitentiary 2 is very much a product of the 80s. Oh, so it's interesting because The Last Dragon is after Penitentiary 2. I know, but it, it has, we, and we talked about it, it has the sensibilities right, right. Of, of a black exploitation. Well, that's film. because Leon Kennedy starts smelling even more of himself in well, Penitentiary 2. Well, I, 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 you know, not to, not to give it away too much, but I do think it is noteworthy that this is a script written by Jamal Fanaka and Leon Isaac Kennedy. But we'll talk about that much more next week. Next when we week. we do Penitentiary 2. That's right. Uh, until then, ladies and gentlemen, um, we ask you to be safe, be well. Miss um, McKeever says, my cousin started out as a barber, and she said too many people came in as customers instead of as clients. Oh. Well, yeah, it's all, but that's the thing now. It's about clients. Yeah. It's about clients. About yeah. getting that rotation, about getting that, you know, that, that, that appointment. Look, man, barbershop. Like, we we could have spent another hour talking about the politics mm-hmm. of the barber relationship. That's right. That's right. Real talk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get out of here. Until next week, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again. Happy birthday, Wendy. Wendy.